0: Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Well, welcome back to many of you, and to some of you, welcome aboard. It's your very first episode of This Week in the Word. We're glad you're here. Today's episode is Complete in Christ, Episode 7, Victorious in Our Victor's Victory. This is the episode for Sunday March 3rd, 2024. Let's get started. Many years ago, about uh, 20, almost 30 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long, there was a first Gulf War. The reason there was a first Gulf War is there was a second one later. But when we had the first one, we didn't know it was the first one because we didn't know there was gonna be a second one. Anyway, in the first Gulf War, After it was concluded, sometime later, there was a national victory parade in Washington, D.C. as selected units of the United States military paraded through the streets of Washington as celebration of the great victory. And guess who led that parade? That was General Norman Schwarzkopf, who directed that war. That was a great event. In fact, In American history, I believe I'm correct in saying that was the only national victory parade like that since World War II. So that had been a long time since anyone had seen that. Keep that image in mind because you're going to need it a little later in the podcast. The Colossian Christians, which were in the first century, they were first century Christians living in the Uh, region of Turkey, what we would call Turkey today, they faced many enemies. They faced humanism, and by that I mean philosophy and so-called wisdom of the world, that kind of thing. Humanism, ritualism, and legalism, which we usually find relating to various religions in the world. So they faced humanism, ritualism, (laughs) legalism, And that's not all. They faced mysticism that somehow you needed to go to uh, an extra-worldly, otherworldly state of being in order to connect with God. And then there was asceticism, where you punish yourself, uh, punish your body so you can get closer to God. That still is around today. And then of course some people just give up completely And go into hedonism, and that is seeking pleasure for pleasure's sake. Those are just some of the enemies the early Christians faced who were living in a city called Colossae, and we ask ourselves, what is the Christian's answer to these isms that ought to be wasms? How do we answer that? Well there's two answers chiefly. Number one, talking about Jesus Christ now. He is in us, and we know that from Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. We've already seen that, but let's read it again. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christians then and Christians now can truthfully say that Jesus lives in us. We're not trying to get to God. When we become a Christian, God comes to live in us. That's a fact, whether you realize it or not. So I said there's two answers cheaply. That's number one. He is in us. Number two is we are in him. And we're going to see that more fully today. It's actually, uh, we've seen it a little bit already in Colossians, but we're really going to see it today. So with the fact that when you think in terms of various religions of the world, say they're trying to get to God or find God and all of that kind of thing, and and the um, false teachers that were bothering the church at Colossae were trying to convince them that, if they only adopted their form of religion and so-called wisdom and all these steps you had to go through to get to God, you know, they could have total victory. Hey, buddy, we've already got total victory. (laughs) There, There should be a spiritual victory parade because we already have total victory. God lives in us and we are in him. You can't get closer to God than that. All right, so let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Now, if this is your first episode, go ahead and listen to this one. I think it will be helpful to you, a blessing to you, but I do encourage you, you've still got plenty of time to go back this week, listen to one a day of episodes 1 through 6, in complete in Christ and that'll bring you right up to speed. All right, so here we are today in this episode, Colossians chapter 2 and we're only going to look at verses 11, 12, 13, 14 and 15. <clears throat> Except that we're going to read verses 9 and 10. <laughs> you knew I would do something, right? We're going to use verses 9 and 10 so that we <clears throat> we keep the the thought and mind going into verse 11. And we looked at these two verses last week. All right, Colossians chapter 2, actually starting in verse 9. For in him dwelleth all. How much? All. That's just about everything, right? No, it's all. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10. Now verse 9 is a lot. That is massive. But watch what happens in verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of, of all principality and power. So whatever other spiritual beings or powers or authorities or principalities there could be, doesn't matter. He's in charge of it all. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Period except that you have religious people back then and now who emphasize in in the area of religion two things. Ritualism, like going through a certain sequence of things every time exactly the same way over and over, and you have to do it this way, the right way, and maybe God will hear you. But probably not. So you have to do it again and again. And, you know, you just, you keep trying, but you don't ever actually reach God in ritualism. So that's one thing. And you could think of things, everything from, for example, praying the rosary to um, all all kind of things, other denominations and and religions have invented that you have to go through. So there's ritualism, you know, a certain order of spiritual worship. And uh, when you go to church, it has to be done exactly like this, the same way, every time. The ritualism, legalism is having a list of rules that people made up that you've got to keep. And as long as you outwardly keep them, then you're probably pretty spiritual, and we can all think of examples of that. And that's one thing when the Bible tells us something is, is right or wrong. That's, I mean, that's undebatable. That's a fact. But it's another thing when somebody makes up a list that they think everybody should live by in order to be right with God. So religion, one more time, I don't want this to be complex, but I do want you to get this. One of the problems facing the people in Colossae, and it bothers Christian today, is people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, being in him and he lives in them, and because they don't have a relationship with Christ, they're in a religion which somebody described as doing the same thing over and over in exactly the same way hoping to reach God. Ritual Religion emphasizes ritualism and legalism. Now, in the case of the Colossian church, the Colossian false teachers that were that were trying to influence these Christians in the church in Colossae, they would have been saying something along this line. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ is great. That's cool. He's cool. But you also need to be circumcised to be really spiritual and get close to God like we are. You know, that's basically what they were saying. Now, I'm not going to go into what circumcision is. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up. But we're just going to just use the word, all right? So Jewish, Jewish males are circumcised, and during that time of world history, although it's changed a lot today, but in that time in world history, non-Jewish males were not circumcised normally. So verse 11. So the false teachers were really trying to trouble these actual real believers in Jesus in this church in Colossae. So Paul instead of pointing out all the 29 things that these these false teachers were wrong about, and he does mention some of it here, but He doesn't spend all his time talking about what they're wrong about. He explains what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. And then that kind of exposes the false teachers. Verse 11, in whom, now that's again still talking about Jesus Christ, right? Uh, Shake your head like this. Yes, pastor. That's correct. You're right. How about that? Verse 11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So whereas the Jewish priest with his hands was circumcised that Jewish baby boy, here Paul says, "Ah, forget about that if you're non-Jewish, it's a (laughs) non-issue, all right, in whom also ye are circumcised, so he's saying in a way, and, and not just in a way, I mean this is true, but he's saying really you've got the ultimate circumcision, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in other words, it's spiritual from Christ in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So whereas circumcision was a small surgical procedure, Jesus Christ has done a circumcision on us that gets rid of the entire body of the sins of the flesh far greater than circumcision of the Jewish baby boy could ever be. Do you see what we're saying here? So the, these non-Jewish believers in Christ living in Colossae, they were troubled like, well, was this right? I mean, to be really close to God, we've got to gotta do what the Old Testament says the Jewish people did? And Paul says, no. <laughs> the circumcision of Christ dealt with the entire issue of the flesh. You know, the, the trouble we have in this life, as Christians, is we are born again, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, and we have a, a we are a new man in Christ, a new creation. But the problem is, we still live in this old body, and sin operates in the body in which we live. That's where there's warfare, and and we can win in Christ. But the but the point is here. He's saying, hey, forget about that. You don't need to go be circumcised. We have a circumcision that's spiritual, which deals with the whole flesh issue. You see what we're saying here? All right, now, let me explain a little bit here about the whole idea of circumcision and the uncircumcision. (coughs) Excuse me. Tried not to do that, but couldn't help it. All right, I'm reading here an explanation, and it's so good, I'm just gonna read it. A daily prayer of a strict Jewish male was to thank God that he was neither a woman, a Samaritan, nor a Gentile, like the new believers in Christ were in the church in Colossae, right? Gentiles came to be regarded by the Jews as the uncircumcision, a term of disrespect, implying that non-Jewish peoples were outside the circle of God's love. As discussed later, God applied the very same term, uncircumcised, to describe his chosen people. The term circumcised and uncircumcised became emotionally charged symbols to Israel and their Gentile neighbors. This issue later brought discord into the fellowship of the New Testament church and especially caused confusion about how one obtained genuine salvation. Now, this is a fact. The Jewish people, they should have understood this whole thing because Moses and the prophets, they, they used the term circumcised as a symbol for purity of heart. You know, yes, there was an actual circumcision, right? But you could still go through that process as a Jewish baby boy but if you didn't know God, it wouldn't really be a very much value at all, because ultimately that outward that outward surgical procedure should represent a purity of heart. You know what's going on inside that you you're ready to hear and obey God and and live for the Lord. And Moses wrote in Deuteronomy ten sixteen. Now listen to this: Circumcise then your heart and he was obviously speaking of an inward spiritual work you know not the actual circumcision of a baby boy so circumcised in your heart and stiffen your neck no more and that's what it says in Deuteronomy ten sixteen. see if you think about it this way if somebody goes through all the outward rituals Maybe their parents had them uh, christened when they were a baby. Maybe, uh, you know, if they're Jewish, they had circumcision. Growing up, they had a bar mitzvah. You know, whole nine yards. Whatever religion or denomination you're talking about. If you go through all those outward things, but inside you're still standing up against God in your will, where you, you refuse God's offer of grace and you refuse to follow his will (laughs) then all of that is just an outward thing that doesn't have any value at all yet people are so trapped in that the jews even had this saying that no circumcised jewish man will see hell that's an actual quote from some not from the bible but from the some of the rabbis Here's another one from the rabbis, not from the Bible. Circumcision saves us from hell. Uh, No, it doesn't. And it's not in the Bible, but that's what they were teaching. Now, the theologian Charles Hodge, a great preacher, had a a great example uh, or explanation when he wrote this. I'm going to quote Charles Hodge right here. Whenever true religion declines, the disposition to lay undue stress on external rights is stressed. The Jews, when they lost their spirituality, supposed that circumcision had the power to save them. You know, just like people today say, "Whoa, I was circumcised when I was a baby." You don't even you weren't you weren't even knowledgeable that you were even there. You know what I mean? But you rely on that. What what what's up with that? <laughs> apostasy, let's put it this way, when you fall away from the true faith, it always moves that spiritual focus from the inward to just doing the outward, from a humble obedience on the inside to just going through the formalities, the outward rituals. So verse 11 said, in whom also ye are circumcised." with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now, as somebody said, I think John MacArthur said this, there's not an ounce of water in this verse. Whatever we do outwardly when we become a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and we follow his example in believer's baptism, and yes, we are to do that, when we follow that example, it's, it's really only portraying what has already happened spiritually. The baptism talked about right here as we're going to read here in Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, has nothing to do with the outward ritual. It's talking about what happens spiritually when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a personal believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today and have an active day-by-day living relationship with Him, which is evidence that you are born again then this isn't true of you. But if you are a real Christian, what I'm about to read is true of you. And you might say, well, I don't remember this happening spiritually. It was spiritual. You might not remember it, but it happened nevertheless. Romans 6 verses 3 through 5 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of of his resurrection. (laughs) Wow. It's even better. Listen to verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means made alive, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now listen here. Spurgeon put it this way. Each of the Ten Commandments has, as it were, united with the rest to draw up an indictment against us. The first commandment says, He has broken me. The second cries, he has broken me. The third, he has broken me. And the whole ten together have laid the same charge against each one of us. That is the handwriting of the law condemning every man or woman born while he remains in a state of nature. That is, while he remains unsaved. We have broken the laws of God. No amount of confession or ritual or anything that man can come up with can change that. We need a living Savior. F.F. Bruce put it this way. It might even be said that he took the document, that is that, that indictment that Charles Spurgeon spoke of, this list of this handwriting of ordinances in verse 14, and it's like, uh, it's like you're indicted, you're going to be given a list of particulars. That is exactly what the charges are against you. F.F. F. Bruce said, it might even be said that he took the document, ordinances and all, and nailed it to his cross as an act of triumphant defiance in the face of those blackmailing powers that were holding it over men and women in order to command their allegiance. Greek scholar M.R. Vincent said, the ancient Greek word translated wiped out uh, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He took it out of the way. Listen, watch this. The Greek word translated wiped out is a compound of the word to anoint. And the prefix means completely. The, here's the idea, that something was completely wiped over and in the ancient world the term was used of whitewashing a wall or overlaying a wall with gold it means that the accusations of the law against us were completely wiped away and covered over so he says here that they have been they have been blotted out i mean that is amazing We are guilty, but Christ, when he went to the cross, he took that indictment against us of having violated God's laws, and it's gone because of the work of Christ. And he's forgiven us. You realize that we have here a victory where we finally, in Christ, when we trust him, we have salvation. But even even deeper than that, Not only are we saved, we are forgiven. Martin Luther realized crawling crawling up the steps in Rome. He he had been going through the book of Romans himself, and it it just dawned on him, if, if we are redeemed in Christ, why am I crawling up these steps? There's nothing I could possibly do greater than what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's when the light shined in his heart that the Josh shall live by crawling up steps in Rome. No, the Josh shall live by faith. That What is that faith in? In Christ and in his finished work on the cross. There's nothing more I could ever do to add to that. It's already all been done. I need to receive him and what he did on the cross by faith. But verse 15, it's even better than being saved and forgiven. We are total victors in Jesus. Listen to Colossians 2.15. Now this is the truth right out of the Bible. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Charles Spurgeon was commenting on Colossians 2 verse 15 and he said that that exhibiting them as his prisoners in a triumphal procession as the victorious Roman generals did when they returned from war. Generals would uh, do it this way and and it, it applies spiritually to what Jesus is. The cross was his triumph. That's where he led captivity captive. What more do you want, Spurgeon says? Your enemy is vanquished, your sins blotted out, your death changed to life, your necessities all supplied. Will you not stay at home with Christ? Canst thou have a better lover than thy Lord, a dearer husband than the heavenly bridegroom? Oh, love the Lord, ye His saints. Cling to Him and make much of Him. Let Him be in all in all all to you. The Lord Jesus Christ has done everything for His people, fought their battle, won their victory, and on their behalf celebrated the triumph in the streets of heaven, leading captivity captive, What more then do we want? Surely, Christ is enough for us, says Spurgeon. Listen, the greatest powers on the earth at that time, Rome, the greatest governmental power, and the Jewish religion, the greatest religious power, they conspired together to put the Son of God on the cross. These powers, angry at his challenge to their sovereignty, stripped him naked, held him up to public contempt, and celebrated a triumph over him. Now, this is what Paul does. Paul shows us, again, the paradox of the cross. That the victorious Jesus took the spiritual powers animating those earthly powers, talking about Satan and his demons, and stripped them, and held them up to contempt, and publicly triumph over them. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) Wow. It's like F.H. Bruce says, uh, far from suffering their attack without resistance, he grappled with them and mastered them, stripping them of the power and the armor in which they trusted, and held them aloft in his outstretched hands, displaying to the universe their helplessness and his own unvanquished strength, so said F.F. Bruce. Many years ago, I had the privilege of, uh, I wouldn't say we were friends, but I met Dan DeHaan. Dan DeHaan was the founder and leader of Training Church Leaders in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, he led the Metro Bible Study in Atlanta, where over a thousand young people primarily came out to a a local church. It would open their doors on a, I think it was on a Thursday night, and he would teach the Word of God to anybody who wanted to come. And he was the Bible study leader for the Atlanta Falcons and uh, opened the Word of God to those Falcons back in the late 70s. And in fact, he also discipled quarterback Steve Bartkowski. When Steve Bartkowski gave his life to christ and became a real christian and he began to grow in the lord so one time dan DeHaan used this example in one of his messages that i heard on tape he said you know what we we always see wrestling on tv and it's like uh and i'm just kind of paraphrasing what he said it's like we're the guy in a, a tag team match and we are being worn out by the opponent." we're laying on the mat, we're down for the count, there's almost no hope, but with one touch of the hand of that tag team partner who comes in, the victory is won as a tag team partner comes in, beats a daylights out of the opponent, lifts him up above his head and throws him out of the ring. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross, And when he rose from the dead on the third day, literally, actually, physically, it proved what he did was acceptable to the Father. He destroyed the opposition. Satan and his demonic forces have no hope because of the total victory Jesus has won. And I want to drill home to you today who are listening this thought. We are victorious, not because we keep a list of rules or we're trying to be good or we're trying to work our way to God. Good luck on that, buddy. We are victorious today because of the victor's victory. All we need to do when we trust Him as our personal Savior and Lord is accept the victory that He has already won. And we've seen in Colossians that we are in Him and He lives in us and the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have, my friends, total victory. Now some of you listening today, you are relying on religion, uh, hoping against hope that somehow, your good deeds will outweigh your bad and you will land in heaven. You have no assurance of salvation. You know why? Because you're trusting in your efforts. I wouldn't trust in mine either. It's better to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Say, so, what well, does that mean we can live however we want? No. He comes to live in us and he lives his life out through us so that we will desire to do and delight to do the will of God. We're not following a list of rules. where We have a living, daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're trusting religion, I beg you to trust Jesus Christ. He is your only hope. At age of 16, I uh, was vaguely relying somehow on some thing I'd done as a kid, and I'd been baptized as a kid and all of that, and but I didn't know God. I didn't like the Bible. I didn't like Christians. I don't want to be around church, but I met Jesus Christ one day. I've never been the same. Haven't been perfect, but I've never been the same. I now have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what? Now I love the church. I love the Bible. I love the people of God. It all changed for me in an instant. And you know what? It can change for you today. I'm going to give you a phone number to call. Hey, get something to write with. You will not remember this. Write this down. Say, well, I don't want to call that number. Write it down anyway. You'll want to call it later and you won't have it. Write it down. All right, here we go. 888-388-2683. One more time. 888-388-2683. Now, when you call that number, you're not calling me, but you're calling a Christian ministry that has spiritual counselors on the other end. I don't mean like shrinks or psychologists. I mean somebody who knows the Lord, knows the Bible, and they're going to talk with you and listen to you. And they're going to answer your questions about what it means to become a real, actual, born-again Christian, not a religious person. We've got too many of those everywhere. We need Christians so you can have your, you know, because of the finished work of Christ, you're, you have salvation in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. God's not holding anything against you. You're forgiven. It's all blotted out. It's right there in the Bible. I don't care what religious people have ever told you. Just stick with the Bible. You can't go wrong. You're, you have salvation once you trust Christ you are forgiven of your sins and then he lives his life through you and you're on the winning team from then on man (laughs) i mean what's to not like right so call that number 888-388-2683 and someone will help you with the questions that you have you don't have to pay them anything or anything like that just call them now others of you who are listening today you know that you're a christian you know that every single day you're relying moment by moment on the finished work of the lord jesus christ and there's zero doubt about that and because of his finished work because you're saved because you are completely forgiven the bible says that you have assurance or you should have assurance that if you die today you would your eyes would open in heaven with the lord to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord the New Testament says so, then you can know that. But I want to encourage you to be a missionary, so to speak. And thank you for listening today. I want to encourage you to like this particular episode. If you've never done it before, follow the podcast so that you'll get each episode that's posted. But this is what I want you to do if you don't do any of that, do this right where you're listening, you'll see a way to share this episode with someone in your family or a neighbor or a friend a co-worker a teammate even a church member share this with somebody that you would like to hear it so they can hear it too and then you'll be kind of like a missionary sharing the word of God well thanks for listening today I've enjoyed sharing the word of God with you and I thank you for tuning in If I'm still here, I don't die in my sleep or the Lord doesn't come first. I plan to be back next week with episode 8 of Complete in Christ. Thanks for listening. Have a great week in Jesus. Bye-bye.